Before we get into this episode, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love our show, please scroll down to the review section of your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating. If you have a few more seconds, please also leave us a review telling us what you like most about our show. We read every single one of these and we appreciate them so much. This will also help us grow and get into the ears of those who love true crime and food as much as you do. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Unsavory, where true crime meets food. Welcome, everyone. I'm Becca. And I'm Sarah. And you're listening to Unsavory. Yes, you are. And today we are trying something new. So if you are a longtime listener, you'll know that usually one of us does an intro to the topic and then the other one does the main story. But today, instead of a separate intro, we're actually going to get straight into the story. Mm -hmm. I'm actually so excited for this new format. I can already tell that it's going to be a really good decision for us. And today's story has everything that you didn't know you needed in a story. It's got a vegan business tycoon, an immortal, question mark, dog named Leon, (laughs) cult-like abuse, mass amounts of unpaid wages and debts, and the hero of our story, a Domino's pizza with a side of wings. Okay, I think I have to (laughs) disagree on this one. I'd say that the hero was actually Leon the dog. Okay, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. But but the dog didn't bring down the villain. So that the Domino's pizza did. <laughs> but Leon is, is definitely true. like the star of the story and the cutest person in this story by far. <laughs> cutest person. <laughs> oh yeah, the cutest creature in this story by far. It's okay. Sometimes with Rosie I'll be like you are the cutest human. <laughs> so 
It happens. Aww. So if you haven't guessed already, this is the story of Pure Food and Wine and its founder, Sarma Melangelis. And one more thing before we do jump into the story. Listeners, if you haven't already, please leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. We love bringing you new unsavory episodes every second to third week, TBD. (laughs) And the best way that you can support us is by leaving us a review or even a rating, preferably five stars, if you think we deserve it. It sounds so simple, but those reviews are everything to small podcasters. They are mm-hmm. priceless. They make a huge difference. They help us show up in the rankings and help other people find unsavory. And if you've already left a review, I know a lot of you have. We love reading them. You can also just tell your friends, call your mom, and spread the word about unsavory. Okay, Becca, <laughs> are you ready for the story? Oh, I'm ready. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. The information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a physician or registered dietitian in your area. If you have a history of disordered eating, be advised that nutrition details will be discussed and take the steps you need to protect your recovery journey. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes on our website, unsavorypodcast.com. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently Produced podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through the Patreon link in our bio. If you could rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends, that would really help us out, and we will be forever grateful. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Shout out to my sources for today's story, all listed in the show notes, of course. But a big special shout out to an article in The Independent by Clemence Michelin, a Vanity Fair article by Alan Sulkin. And Alan Sulkin is actually heavily featured in the Netflix docuseries Bad Vegan, which I also used for this episode. And the docuseries covers so much more than I could squeeze into this episode, and I highly recommend checking it out. It's directed by Chris Smith, the same guy who directed Tiger King, so you know it's good. Did you actually end up watching it, Becca? Yeah, I did. So uh, Dan and I started watching it about two days ago, thinking that I would not have time to finish it before we recorded this episode. But we crushed the first three episodes in one sitting. (laughs) That's any indicator of how good it is. Yeah, it's really 
bingeable. Like once you start watching, you definitely can't stop. And the doc has tons of real footage, voice recordings, texts from the main players in this story that help you really understand what Sarma was going through during this time. But the only downside, and it's a pretty major downside, is that the other main character, Anthony Strangis, declines all comments on the doc. And he hasn't actually spoken to journalists about what happened. So you definitely get a one-sided story. But you also have all the video footage and audio clips that kind of show you his terrible personality. Yeah, terrible, but also extremely convincing and somehow lovable, I think. Like, I feel like there are very few men who could get away with what he got away with. And it would have been so interesting to have gotten into his, like, criminal mastermind. For sure. Yeah. I I honestly don't know how he got away with what he did. Me neither. It's baffling. Okay. So let's start at the height of the story. Pure Food and Wine was a wildly successful raw vegan restaurant in the heart of Manhattan. Eggs, dairy, sugar, grains, and any type of meat or fish were nowhere to be found, and all of the ingredients were organically grown fruits, vegetables, nuts, and herbs. The kitchen had no ovens, stoves, or microwaves, as most of the food was prepared by chopping, whisking, infusing, blending, or dehydrating. The dishes all looked so incredible. Yeah. Raw vegan isn't usually the kind of food I gravitate towards, but the Mm -mm. food looks amazing, really complex and flavorful. So for those who aren't familiar with veganism, a vegan diet excludes all animal products. Many people choose to eat this way for ethical reasons. They don't want to harm animals. It could be environmental reasons. Plant-based diets can be more sustainable or health reasons. So lots of different reasons to eat vegan. I would say that most people who are vegan follow more of a whole food plant-based diet that would include fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. But there's also a subset of vegans that follow a raw food vegan diet, which is a diet based on raw fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and herbs prepared at temps below 188 degrees Fahrenheit or 48 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And raw veganism, I feel like, is next level. Like I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned just some of the benefits of actually cooking your food in one of our previous episodes and how a lot of nutrients and stuff are released that way. Mm -hmm. But I have heard that people who do follow like a raw vegan diet are more often to be deficient in certain vitamins and minerals and things like that because their food isn't necessarily, they're not absorbing the most of their food that they could be. True. I forgot we covered that in the Teflon episode. Good memory. Full circle. But yeah, I, I went vegan for like a month in 2019, mm-hmm. mainly for ethical reasons, because I love my dog and then started thinking <laughs> of her as like a pig and stuff. And it definitely like changed the way that I eat for the better. Like I used to really struggle to incorporate plant-based meals into like my week. And mm-hmm. now I have like at least one plant-based meal a day. So I found it actually not, maybe not going vegan, but just kind of seeing how I could incorporate plant-based proteins and stuff into my diet. It really kind of opened my eyes into different ways of cooking and stuff like that. But yeah, straight up veganism isn't something that I could ever really maintain. Yeah. I tried it before too. I was actually vegan for a good stretch and you make a good point. I did have to get more creative in the kitchen and like use some different food skills to make things Mm -hmm. taste the way I wanted them to. But it also, it just wasn't sustainable for me. And I missed a lot of the foods that I really enjoy, like 
cheese, of course. Of course. (laughs) Uh, So I wouldn't go fully vegan again, but I do, same as you, I enjoy plant-based meals on the regular, on a daily basis, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so back to pure food and wine. This restaurant was a hit. There was nothing else quite like it at the time. And it had this gorgeous backyard garden. It was staffed by all these really cool and attractive people. And it also attracted the attention of a lot of celebrities. So Pure Food and Wine is actually where Alec Baldwin met his wife, Hilaria Baldwin. And other celebs like Owen Wilson, Tom Brady, Anne Hathaway, Stevie Wonder, Alicia Silverstone. There were tons that were known to visit Pure Food and Wine. To give you a sense of the menu at Pure Food and Wine... I'm going to read a quote from a review of the restaurant from 2004 in New York Magazine by Hal Rubenstein, because this person is really good at describing food. Enjoy Kenny's smashed pineapple and diced cucumber gazpacho, a dense but refreshing soup with a heady blast of green onion and cilantro, plus a faint sting of jalapeno just before it goes down for its sheer immediacy. Appetizers go for similar crackle and zip, wafer-thin slices of daikon radish encircle a combo of green papaya and coconut like a wrap, ready for dipping into a graceful chili coconut sweet sour sauce with a high note of basil. Nuts play a vital role in vegan cooking, and they're used frequently here. Pignoli blended into chopped jicama simulates sushi-wrapped rice around marinated shiitake mushrooms invigorated with pickled ginger. Cashews provide crunch and protein in spicy Thai lettuce wraps that are also filled with chopped Napa cabbage, ginger, and mango, all awaiting a vivid tamarind chili sauce. Mango and Thai basil salad with star anise, red chili, and Brazil nuts offer as much exotic sunniness as one bowl can contain. (laughs) I'm literally salivating. (laughs) Oh, that was very descriptive. (laughs) It was, it's like beautifully written and it actually makes me hungry. I guess that's why this person is a a food writer. A food writer. Yeah. And okay. So jicama is like one of my favorite vegetables. Have you ever tried it? I don't think so, but it's like a potato, right? I wouldn't describe it as a potato. It is a root vegetable, but it's kind of the combination between like an apple and maybe a potato. Have you ever had one of those apple pears, like the... Asian pears, and they have like this like amazing crunch to them. Cool. Is it sweet? No. So it it doesn't really have that sweet flavor, but it has that like incredible crunch. So I love like dipping it in hummus and stuff like that. It just Mm. like takes on the flavor of whatever, whatever you're eating it with. But all this to say is it is so hard to find anywhere, especially like, I mean, at least in Canada, you can't find it anywhere. And I feel like that really goes to show that she was using some pretty hard to come by, like bougie ingredients in her recipes. Totally. Yeah. And really creative use of vegetables and herbs. I'm curious, food costs for something like a raw food vegan restaurant, I wonder if they're significantly cheaper than restaurants that serve like meat and cheese because those are expensive ingredients. But at the same time, there's like perishability problems, things like that. Curious. I also find it interesting. Like I can't imagine a kitchen where you're not cooking things. It's so bizarre. And I feel like the the actual like prep time for food was probably a lot shorter too. Totally. Also, another thing, I'm watching this show Upload and it's like, do you know what show it is? No. Okay. It's like this futuristic um, living in a simulation type of situation. But they brought up this point that made me think of raw food and it's that there wouldn't be a smell 
Like when you're cooking, right. the smell of the food is part of the experience. And when it's raw food, there's no smell released by heat and cooking. That's a good point. Yeah. It's all those herbs, right? Maybe they just yeah, pump like... herbs through the, the air. Yeah, true. <laughs> all right. So Pure Food and Wine was opened in 2004 by Sarma Melangelis, and she is the protagonist of today's story. Right off the top, she's a total bombshell. She's an absolute babe, and we, we've got to say it. Yeah, she is. She is. <laughs> she totally is. <laughs> she was born and raised in Newton, Massachusetts, her dad was a physicist, and her mother was a professional chef, so her interest in food began when she was quite young. She studied economics at the University of Pennsylvania and then held a series of jobs at investment banks and firms, but Sarma knew that finance wasn't really her passion. She soon left her high-paying job to attend New York's French Culinary Institute and graduated in 1999. Shortly after she finished school, she interviewed to work with chef Matthew Kenny on a cookbook. And Kenny was a talented chef in New York at the time who owned his own restaurant. So she ended up getting this job and the two quickly became a couple. And they had a vision for a new kind of raw vegan restaurant uh, that didn't really exist yet. So they got restaurateur Jeffrey Chodoro to fund their vision. In 2004, Pure Food and Wine opened its doors for the first time. And I feel like it's it's good to keep in mind that vegan type foods weren't really a part of the mainstream yeah. food market at this time. Like they I think they mentioned that this was even before you could buy almond milk at the grocery store. True. Yes. You're right. Like it wasn't around. Like I feel like vegan food is kind of everywhere now. Everyone knows what vegan is, but at mm -hmm. this time, people probably didn't even know what veganism was. No, it was ahead of its time. It was. Shortly after, in 2005, Sarma released her first book, Raw Food, Real World, 100 Recipes to Get the Glow. And this is where her personal brand really took off. And with it, pure food and wine's reputation exploded as well. Sarma became sort of a raw vegan icon. Her business was thriving and it was attracting celebrity attention. And she started to become more well-known around New York for her signature blonde hair and her one lucky duck tattoo. And yet, only a decade later, in 2015, the pure food and wine empire would collapse all 98 employees walked off the job after missing months of pay, and Melangelis would be on the run from the FBI for stealing millions of dollars from her investors. An absolutely epic downfall. And it all started with Alec Baldwin, sort of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> While we were watching this, I also blamed Alec Baldwin. <laughs> if we need someone to blame, I think it should be Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Alec Baldwin was at the restaurant a lot, and he became good friends with Sarma. Sarma was in a pretty rough place around this time mentally, and this is actually when she adopted Leon, her beloved pit bull, who is truly very, very cute. It was around this time that Alec met his future wife, Hilaria, at the restaurant. And so Sarma is single. She has this thriving business, but she's not exactly thriving in her personal life. So I'm going to read a quote from the Vanity Fair article by Alan Salkin from an email that Sarma sent in 2007 that kind of showcases her struggles. These people would all probably choke on their flax crackers if they knew that not only am I walking around feeling entirely spent, weary, and even on the verge of a nervous breakdown, 
but that I'm also carrying a few hundred thousand dollars of personal debt and that I'm full of burning rage to build this empire with a residual and occasionally reappearing destructive closet eating disorder. Mm, Yikes. I feel like this is clearly a cry for help. And based on the doc, it doesn't really seem like anybody reached out to her after this. I don't know if this Mm -hmm. was included in the article or just sent to Alan, but this Alan Sulkin, the journalist, he seemed to have been really invested in her story. Mm -hmm. Yet I feel like he maybe didn't really offer her a helping hand after this, which is kind of upsetting. And yeah, her whole story just kind of makes you rethink the status that comes with fame. Right. Like it comes across as being quite isolating in her situation. For sure. And people say that she had like this restaurant personality where she was like on and friendly and like working the floor and things like that. But then her private life, like her true personality was more introverted and quiet and like, yeah. So from the outside, I feel like it looked amazing. She had this amazing thriving restaurant. She's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. She's kind of like a bit of a socialite. Like she's popular in New York and well-known, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I honestly wonder if she's a Gemini with those (laughs) multiple personalities. Do you recognize (laughs) yourself? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So around this time, Sarma notices this guy on Twitter, Shane Fox, who's tweeting with Alec Baldwin. And he's clever. He's got good one-liners. And sometimes Alec is responding back as well. So Sarma kind of assumes that they're friends. And she begins talking to this guy as well. And they would play words with friends and text back and forth. And they basically started an online relationship through Twitter. The timeline is a little bit shaky here. But it seems like Sarma and Shane Fox started talking in early 2011. And they finally met in person by November of the same year. And when they did finally meet, he wasn't exactly how he'd appeared in the pictures. First of all, there's a lot of like fat shaming and food shaming in some of these articles. It's bad. It is pretty bad. But basically, he was heavier in person than he appeared in his pictures. And people were commenting on that the two of them were a unique physical match. But her dog, Leon, warmed up to him right away. So she kind of took that as a good sign and stuck with the relationship. Yeah. Even the dog was fooled. Yes. (laughs) He was also really confident. Shane Fox, very confident and kind of mysterious. And he would never disclose what exactly his job was, but said that it was something to do with the CIA Black Ops Division. And he was always very mysterious about it, which is red flag number one of... Well, maybe number two, actually, (laughs) of (laughs) many to come. Sarma had a lot of really great friends and loyal employees at the restaurant that had worked for her for a long time and had a lot of respect for her. And so they were definitely suspicious about this new guy. He just didn't seem like her type, but he was confident, he was outgoing, and he had money, or so it seemed. He wore a Rolex, he drove a Bentley. And one time he was with Sarma and he went into a building and came out with a manila envelope filled with diamonds. (laughs) Very suspicious. Real diamonds? Yeah, that was in the dock. Do you remember that part? No, I must have zoned out. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like he's just planting all these seeds that, of course, she believed he had money. Yeah, but like, who is he stealing the money from before? Mm. Well, I guess we know. We'll see. Sarma described one time where Shane told her to meet him at Tiffany's and they had this private area to themselves and he had her try on all these $800,000 rings. That is, it's insane to me that a a ring could 
cost that much. Yeah. <laughs> but I've actually been, I've been to Tiffany's yeah. to try on engagement rings when a friend was going to pick out hers. Uh-huh. And it's funny, like the private rooms that they put you in. Yeah. It's not exactly what it seems because we were trying on rings and then my girlfriend wanted to try on one that was like slightly more expensive. Yeah. It was like a hundred something thousand dollars. It was oh my God. outrageous. Yeah. But they asked us if we wanted to go into a private room. And so I, I kind of asked and what they do is they actually put you in a private room that's closed off from the rest of the store mm-hmm. as well as the exits so that you can't leave oh. with the more expensive rings. Oh, smart. Very smart. It is smart. But they make it seem so like, yeah, like exclusive, like you're being put into a private room, but, but it's, really it's so that you don't steal it's a anything. Theft prevention measure. <laughs> yeah. True. Okay. Okay. That's a good reframe. They would also go house shopping for these like super cute New York homes. And so Sarma really trusted that he had money because he dressed the part and he had clearly proven to the real estate agent that he had the money to go shopping for homes. And so in these earlier stages of the relationship, I can totally see how Sarma would get swept up and maybe overlook some of the other more glaring red flags, Mm -hmm. especially since she had a large amount of her own debt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Shane's very important, fancy, mysterious job required him to go on all these last minute trips. And he would go for a couple of days at a time and not contact Sarma or tell her where he was. And it was on one of these trips that he first requested cash from Sarma. Now, according to those who were close to Sarma, she was incredibly generous, as we'll learn probably to a fault. Definitely to a fault. (laughs) (laughs) She even made friends with a gentleman named Anthony Joseph Caruana, a.k.a. Tony Pizza, a homeless man from Long Island. And she would store his belongings at her apartment in the winter and invite him to Thanksgiving gatherings with her friends. So being a generous, kind-hearted person, Sarma helped Shane out and sent him the money when he requested it. Of course, thinking that he had the money to pay her back. Right. That it wouldn't be like so one-sided. Okay, now prepare for things to get a little bit confusing. Because one day, Shane called the restaurant, Pure Food and Wine, and the name that showed up on the caller ID was Anthony Stranges. The employees who were already skeptical of Shane Googled his name. Anthony Stranges, because they knew something was up, right? And they saw that he had a mugshot from a 2005 arrest in Florida for impersonating a police officer and that Shane Fox's name was actually Anthony Stranges. (laughs) When this was brought to Sarma's attention, she kind of brushed it off and explained it away, saying that he had multiple identities based on whatever his mysterious job was. But now it was known that Shane Fox's real name was actually Anthony Stranges. And this might be confusing, but I'm going to switch now and start calling him by his real name, Anthony Stranges. Right. Okay. I found this part of the story a bit strange. Or strangest. Strange is. <laughs> it's a weird last name to say. I know. It does not roll off the tongue. No. They never really seem to give you any more backstory on the, this charge or what happened. Like, did you uncover... Like, any more details when you're going through your so no, research stuff? So, no, like, no legit source details, but, like, gossip sites. <laughs> there was one article I found that said he was having a fight 
with a woman, probably his ex-wife, who we'll talk about in a bit. And an off-duty police officer came up to see what was happening. And Anthony used his father's old police badge to pretend that he was a policeman. To a police officer. To a police officer. That's a bad plan. A very bad plan. Probably not well (laughs) thought out. And I also found, like, this detail, too... If you found out the guy you were dating was a different guy, Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine being like, yeah, it's part of his job. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. He must have just been so believable because I just, I have a hard time believing that just anyone would believe a story like this that was told by just anyone. He must have had this charm. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons, like, I wish we could see it. Like, I want to hear him talk and see how persuasive he is. I know. I agree. I want to hear his side of the story and, like, would he sway our opinions? Because right now I have an opinion about the whole story, but it's based on what has been told and what's been written, which is mostly through Sarma's perspective. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a part two to the documentary. Maybe. But then also, as soon as I said that, I was like, but there's all those clips. Like, we've heard him talk. He's, a, mm-hmm. he's not nice. <laughs> he's really manipulative. Okay. So who the heck is this guy? Anthony Stranges. He was raised in a ranch house in Brockton, Massachusetts by his mother, Patricia, and his father, John, who was a local policeman and well-known gambler. Rumor has it that John used to bring Anthony with him when he gambled, so he was exposed to gambling and violence at a very young age. Anthony was also previously married to a lovely woman named Stacy Avery, with whom he had a son. Stacy alleges that after she became pregnant, he started pawning her jewelry, telling her that he was due to inherit a large sum, $5 million, from an aunt. But the money never came, and more items kept getting pawned so that they could make ends meet. Stacy finally left when she had fallen three months behind on her mortgage, and all of her valuables, her electronics, her jewelry, had been pawned. Strangers took off for good, and according to Anthony's own mother, it's possible that when Sarma and Anthony first started talking on Twitter, he was actually living in a van with his father and just traveling from casino town to casino town. Oh, gosh. I know. Do you know if if Anthony's parents were together? I don't think they were. Hmm. I think they were divorced. Yeah, it sounds like... They were divorced. They were divorced? Okay. Yeah, I remember reading that they split time. I was going to say with the father and... Anthony, it seems like the apple didn't fall far from the tree. (laughs) Yes, totally. I remember reading, and I didn't write it here, but I remember reading that Anthony's mother had tried to fight for custody but was not successful. Oh. So he had to split time. The story might have been very different had she won that. Yeah. Yeah, probably would have. Okay, so friends at the restaurant were seriously concerned about Sarma at this point. She was growing more distant by the day. And so it was especially surprising when they suddenly got married in December 2012, only one year after meeting in person. At this point, Sarma was genuinely exhausted. She didn't have a business partner at the time, and she had an enormous amount of debt because she had actually bought out the restaurant from her ex-boyfriend, the one that she had started it all with. Right. Despite the fact that pure food and wine was thriving at this time, the crushing amount of debt was looming over Sarma like a dark cloud, and Anthony was promising that he could pay off her debt and protect her financially. And they actually went and talked to an accountant about what it would look like for Anthony to pay off her debt, and the accountant said that he could legally just pay it off for her if they were married. And so they did. 
And within 24 hours, they were married in a kind of uneventful sort of secretive ceremony that Sarma didn't really tell anyone about. So sad. I know. Right from the beginning. Not a good start. So now things are about to get really weird. Over the next couple years, and the timeline is a bit shaky, according to Sarma, Anthony slowly and masterfully manipulated her using a form of domestic violence called coercive control, leaving Sarma trapped in what was basically a cult with Anthony as the leader and Sarma as the sole follower. She became increasingly detached from reality based on the stories that Anthony was feeding her, including that they were true soulmates that had traveled through time to be together. Anthony was also always talking about this like mysterious group of judges that he sometimes called the family that were supposed to decide if Sarma had proven herself worthy to pass through into like a new state of being where she would become accepted into the group and her and her dog Leon could live forever. It's all so confusing. But basically everything that Sarma did for Anthony was part of this long con to get her to the promised next level where she would become immortal and be a sort of queen. And it all sounds so insane to me, but Shane was also promising her a lot of money and saying that his funds were tied up at that moment and she just had to give him X amount and it would all be paid back and more. He told her that she would get about 100K a month for life and encouraged her to keep just going along with everything. Basically, he was constantly dangling the carrot in front of her, just being like, one more day, one more task, one more transfer. And on the other hand, if she didn't go along with everything he said, everything she wanted would be destroyed and she would be left with the debt and everything she had done so far would be for nothing. And what would you even do with $100,000 a month? I know. (laughs) I know. Open a thousand pure food and wines, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. It's like too much money. How could you believe that? Yeah, it's unreasonable. Yeah. And so this sounds completely wild and it is, but it seems that like with a lot of abuse, everything was really gradual. So Anthony kept insisting that if she could just trust him, they would have this fantastic, magical future together where money wouldn't really be an issue. Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like Sarma was in like a super vulnerable position financially. Like she owed, mm-hmm. was it money to the investors that she owed? Yeah. Like- so the investor originally invested in the restaurant for her and her boyfriend at the time, Kenny. Right. Matthew Kenny, I think. Okay. But then he had to leave the restaurant. And like, there's way more details about this in the doc, <laughs> but I kind of selectively left some out for the the episode. But she took on all the debt. So it's debt right. to investors. Yeah. And she was without her business partner, that Matthew mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. So she was fully running this business now by herself. Mm-hmm. And like based on that, was it Vanity Fair quote that you shared? Like it seemed like she yeah. was also struggling with her own mental health. Yeah. And then you like insert this believable, convincing man who says that he can help you fix everything. And I yeah. just feel like she was set up for a disastrous outcome. Totally. And another thing I left out of this, but like she was questioning throughout if what Anthony was saying was real, but little things kept happening that kind of made it seem real. So at one point she even meets his dad and his dad kind of corroborates that he has this kind of mysterious, crazy job <laughs> and like just little little things like that kind of confirm 
that what he's saying might be true. Right. Yeah, this dad, I don't know, this dad rubs me the wrong way. I think he passed away. Oh, sorry. It's okay, he's still a bad dad. So one other insane thing that Anthony did, and when this happened in the dog, I screamed crazy. But he told (laughs) Sarma that his, his personal tech expert, Will Richards, who was this guy that had kept all Anthony's like important top secret tech information safe, had detected that Sarma's computer had been hacked. And so to protect her information, she needed to email this guy all of her passwords and banking information. And then spoiler alert, there is no Will Richards. It was actually just Anthony Strangest being a massive invasive creep. (sighs) And now he has access to her bank accounts, her email, her cell phone, everything. I just like at this point, I was actually like, how, why never never send all of that information to someone over email, someone that you've never met. I know. It's so frustrating because like, I feel like all of these red flag signs of abuse and stuff are are clearly there. But Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, she didn't realize that until it was too late. Like with this, like taking over her, all of her accounts and being able to see everything that she's up to. It's disgusting. Like it's so gross that... Like, she thought that she could confide in somebody, like this Will Mm -hmm. character, and then finding out that he didn't even exist, that she had developed this relationship with somebody who wasn't even real, and it was just her husband trying to essentially exert control over her money, her social interactions. It's terrible. It is terrible. And I think she was using Will, or not using Will, but she looked to Will as almost this third party that was corroborating the things that Anthony was saying, like he did yeah. need this extra protection. But in reality, it was actually just Anthony pretending to be someone else. And Sarma's, she's educated. She's a really successful businesswoman. She has her economics degree. And it's just like, it's not anyone who fell for this stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that's going to be missing from this podcast episode, but if you watch Bad Vegan, which I do recommend, you'll hear the way that Anthony talks to Sarma. There's audio clips and video clips of him being really forceful and manipulative and just mean. He's very like confident and manipulative is the Mm -hmm. perfect word for it. But he would be always saying these phrases like we're so close. We've come so far. You've, you know, you've come so far. Don't give up now. I thought you were better than this. And Sarma was journaling through all of it too. So you can actually see that she knew something was wrong. She was really questioning things, but also kind of trapped and going along with things and hoping that they were true. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a progression up to mm-hmm. like him expressing how manipulative and stuff he actually was. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it, it gave me just like such cult leader vibes. Oh, yeah. The way that she was kind of just trapped. It was too late. She couldn't get out because she had believed what he was saying previously. And yeah. did build trust with him. And I, yeah, I think Ugh. that it, it was quite literally a cult of one. Or I two. know. Yeah, a cult, of, a cult of two, a leader and a follower. <laughs> mm-hmm. So another test that Anthony was putting Sarma through was his weight gain. And again, remember, there's like a lot of fat shaming in the articles and in the documentary and food shaming and things like that. But it's an aspect of the story. So Shane was not vegan and he ate almost exclusively fast food, but he was gaining weight and telling Sarma that it was 
another test. It was meant to disgust her, and it was another test to endure so she could prove herself Mm -hmm. worthy. So that just adds another layer to this really dysfunctional, controlling relationship. So all of this is kind of going on behind the scenes And what friends and family at the restaurant see is Sarma withdrawing. And so they're concerned. And in the meantime, Anthony starts showing up at the restaurant way more. Employees are noticing that money is going missing and being transferred to places that they know Anthony is staying. Sarma and Anthony also start traveling together more. They take a big European vacation going from town to town so that Anthony can gamble. And they're posting their pictures of their travels on Instagram. Meanwhile, back at Pure Food and Wine, employees stop getting paid. They miss one check at first, and Sarma explains that they're going to switch to monthly pay. And then the time comes to get paid again, and Sarma says that they're not getting paid again. And we will come back to this. Another crazy layer. Sarma wasn't the only person at this time, who was being manipulated by Anthony. So Anthony was a two times a day regular at this bar, and he would talk to the bartender, Nazim. He convinced him, basically, that he could make him super successful in the restaurant business. And so Nazim invested $35,000 directly to Anthony, which, of course, was not invested and instead was probably gambled away. I felt really bad for Nazim in the documentary. I did too, but I feel like he was kind of funny. (laughs) He was funny. He was funny about it. (laughs) Yeah, he was. He was. He wasn't devastated. He was, well, maybe he was behind the scenes, but he comes across really funny. And then I'm also, I'm jumping the timeline a little bit, but Anthony was also in contact with Sarma's mother, who owns an apple orchard in New York, which is so cute. Anthony had basically cut Sarma off from contacting her family at one point, And so they didn't really know what was going on with her. But Anthony would talk with Sarma's mom and say that he was worried about Sarma. She's depressed. She's sick. And he needs money to help her heal, help her get better. And so over time, he received $450,000 from Sarma's mom, which just like, it makes me sick. I think that this was the worst part of the whole story. I know. Was him taking money from the mom with her perceiving that it was going to her daughter to help her daughter. Yeah. When really it was just going to his gambling addiction. Yeah. It made me so mad. So Anthony had Sarma in a coercive control headlock. She was living in this nightmare. She was slowly being bled of all her money by her husband slash con artist. And she ended up transferring $1.7 million but in a two-year period from 2012 to 2014 to Anthony, who was basically just living at casinos and playing slot machines for hours on end. That is such a tremendous amount of money. I feel like when I was watching this, tell me if you agree, but I was thinking like, sure, being addicted to gambling and stuff, that's terrible. But I think it's a worse scenario if you're married to somebody who is addicted to gambling because you don't really have Mm. any control of the addiction in that scenario. And it must be just so hard to like watch your combined income just go out the drain. Yeah, absolutely. Financial stress is such an intense form of stress. And if you were married to someone, if you were working, your life's work, Mm -hmm. your restaurant you built, like that is really wild. 
and you're married to someone who's just slowly siphoning it away to gamble, I can't imagine like the rage I would feel, how how awful it would be. Yeah, I feel rage for her. Me too. Okay, next up in the wild series of cosmic endurance tests that Anthony told Sarma she had to do, he sent her to Rome and put her up at a hotel in a kind of weird part of town and told her that this was another test, that the mysterious group didn't think she could handle it. But actually, he probably just wanted her out of town because while Sarma's in Rome, Anthony holds a meeting with the employees and tells him that he's going to buy the restaurant to get out from the investors. And after the meeting, the employees felt super unsettled and they just they just didn't trust this guy. While Sarma is in Rome, Anthony gets her to wire him another $100,000 and she does. But again, this leaves her without enough money to pay her employees. And she like planning, like he says that he's going to buy the restaurant, Mm -hmm. but like with what money? Her money? Yeah. Like, is that the plan? Because then technically she's buying her own restaurant. I know. It was kind of unclear. Like, I know she thought that he had money or had money coming in or money would show up eventually. And she just had to like pay for him in the meantime. But I need more of that story. Mm-hmm. Like where where, and why was he expecting all this money? And why couldn't he access it now? I just, there's too many questions. Yeah. So one thing about Sarma is that she is really good at getting investors. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of amazing. I'd like a masterclass, please. She got someone to loan her $100,000 so that she was actually able to pay her employees. But this ability actually brings up kind of an interesting point and one that makes me start to question some of the intent because Sarma is consistently sending Anthony money from restaurant accounts and at the same time using her status basically to replenish those accounts with other people's money. Mm -hmm. So she's going to investors, people believe in her and they're investing their money in pure food and wine and then she's just sending it to Anthony. Right. So Pure Food and Wine was actually temporarily shut down at one point, and she needed $844,000 to reopen it and pay the landlord a bunch of back rent and pay her employees. So she successfully convinced more investors to give her another $850,000. And I think she was able to do this because the restaurant was successful. It was turning a sizable profit. The only issue is that most of the money was going straight to Anthony. So the restaurant does reopen. She secured enough money, but the good times don't last too long. Eventually, employees are missing paychecks again. One source said 98 employees were left without pay. And there were families that worked there, mothers and daughters and fathers, busboys that worked their butts off. All of these hardworking, really loyal employees were out of a paycheck for a job that they'd been working the entire time Sarma was away in Europe. And so the employees went on strike and the restaurant was closed again. So I want to like, let's check in at this point in time. How are you, how innocent are you feeling that Sarma is? Okay, so this is tricky. And even when watching the documentary, I was very conflicted because on one side, you see like a woman who is clearly in a coercive and abusive relationship And Mm -hmm. on the other side, you see a woman who is taking advantage of people using her own 
persuasion and power. Yes. So I think it really all comes down to intent. Like what was her intent? Like was she supporting her husband because she was legitimately like fearful of what would happen if she didn't? Right. Or was it because she thought that it would lead to like a get rich quick scheme? So like despite Anthony's brutal gambling skills, did she still believe that he <laughs> had money and that she would be getting that 100,000K allowance? Yeah. Every week or every month. And I feel like they didn't really do a great job at explaining why she did what they, what she did in the documentary. And I Mm -hmm. I really wish that they would have brought somebody in like a, like a criminal psychologist or something, because I'm still on the fence. And I think that the documentary really kind of highlighted her story. But because of that, there's some gaps that are definitely missing. Definitely gaps. And even when you just said there, like, was she legitimately fearful? I didn't get the vibe that she was scared of Anthony. I got the vibe that she was just very convinced by Anthony. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's tricky because I do want to believe her. Yeah, me too. But she really did take advantage of people. A lot of people. With persuasion as well. Mm-hmm. So in, in some ways, you could say that she was using the tactics that Anthony was using on her on her investors. Whoa, that's a good point. (laughs) Okay. I would also, I would love if they brought in a criminal psychologist. I want a whole analysis of her and of him. I know. It's hard. It's too hard. I feel like it's too hard to pick a side. For sure. Especially because, well, like the side I want to pick is Sarma's. Yeah, same. (laughs) Because we saw her story and I like her. Like she's a boss. Like she seemed really cool. But we only really got one side of the story. I know. And okay, I'm I'm fearful a little bit because we have previously had somebody who we've done an episode about listen to the podcast. Yeah. And like, I don't want Sarma to listen to this podcast and think that we're calling her out at the same time because I think that yeah. the, the situation she was in was also a very challenging one. Absolutely. I'm just so conflicted. So Sarma, if you're listening, we still love you. Yeah, <laughs> we're definitely on team. Like, I want to be on team Sarma and I'm definitely on team Leon. Oh, yes. That's 100%. the one thing I'm fully confident about. <laughs> team Leon. We're with the dog. Okay, so let's wrap it up. Sarma and Anthony end up going on the run. But Sarma says that Anthony was kind of just like, we're going to leave New York for a while. And there wasn't actually a clear plan or discussion. So she didn't really consider themselves on the run during this time. However, she was using a Band-Aid to cover up her tattoo, her one lucky duck trademark tattoo on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. And she was also using a fake name, Emma, which seems kind of like you're on the run. (laughs) Kind of. They ended up going from casino town to casino town and living in Las Vegas for months. Anthony gambled a lot on slot machines and Sarma spent most of her time in the hotel room. Sarma and Anthony had separate rooms because... They really didn't have a relationship at this point. She was repulsed by him. And it definitely seems like there were some weird kind of sex-related, more cosmic endurance tests during this time that involved blindfolds and something about Anthony needing energy from Sarma. Do you remember this part? I do. I have so many questions. It's bizarre. But she did she did get off, give off a good energy. <laughs> she did, Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, even though like we both watched the docuseries, I took so many notes, I read articles, and I I still have questions about like what exactly Sarma believed. 
like who she thought the group was who like did she actually think she could be immortal mm-hmm. and her dog could be immortal like did she literally think that would happen or was it more i just i have a lot of questions about the story yeah i do as well and i i feel like love can definitely make you do some pretty stupid things um, yeah but like brief criminology corner here uh mm-hmm. there has been some like research done on like the criminality of women in the context of yeah. abuse. And it is really complicated to the point where we can't like we can't decide whose side to be on. But yeah. basically like women will sometimes commit crime with an abusive partner to avoid their own victimization. So they may commit a crime when in the relationship, possibly for the relationship, but are also victims of crime themselves. And there's like this term for this influence that a partner can have on another partner when committing a crime. And like the term has completely slipped my mind. But it has been used to describe some like crime duos like Bonnie and Clyde and Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Um, So I mean, like who knows what she believed, but would she have committed these crimes on her own without Anthony? And the answer I feel like is likely not. I think, yeah, it's definitely not. I think it's it's really unlikely that she would have committed those crimes without Anthony. But Anthony has a past. He's done it before. Yeah. With his ex-wife, promising her money that was never coming in. Yeah. So you just, I feel like you really have to think about like the persuasion that somebody can have on a relationship and on somebody else who trusts them, believes them, and then it turns into like a toxic environment. And then that person is is abiding by their behaviors because they're either afraid or they're influenced it's just, it's very complicated. And I feel like there's like a level of psychology here that we don't really, we can't really understand without being in the situation ourselves. For sure. And I also don't want to underestimate the level of financial abuse and financial stress that she was experiencing. And mm-hmm. like, once she sent that first transfer to Anthony, it's almost like she was, the only way out was to trust him. Yeah. To bank on the idea that she was going to get more money back to be able to repay all of these debts and more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anthony and Sarma were on the road for 10 months living out of hotels when he convinces her to ask one more person for money. And he says he needs $60,000. And I honestly, I don't know how she does it because if someone buys me like one coffee, I can't wait to pay them back. I can't wait (laughs) to buy them a coffee in return. But she does it. She gets a friend to give her $60,000. And so they go to New York for just one day and she meets this friend, gets the money, and then they leave again and they head to Tennessee. There they stay in Fairfield Inn and Suites in a town called Seaverville for 40 nights. All of this time, no one had actually pressed charges yet. So they were on the run because they were avoiding reality and they knew that things had gotten really bad. But They weren't actually on the run from criminal charges yet Mm -hmm. until one of the investors, Asparagus Trading Corporation, launched a lawsuit for $280,000, claiming that Sarma drained from the restaurant accounts inappropriately. The Tennessee police force was involved in the search for Anthony and Sarma, and they found them pretty quickly thanks to an order for Domino's pizza with a side of chicken wings placed by Anthony Stranges <laughs> using his real name. <laughs> I just love that takedown. <laughs> Anthony was arrested at the Domino's without incident. And when the cops went to the hotel to arrest Sarma, she seemed relieved and she started crying. 
and her biggest concern was what was going to happen to her dog, Leon. She had made a friend at the Chipotle across the street who ended up coming and taking her dog. And then her father actually came and grabbed the dog from the friend. So Leon is safe and sound. We're happy to report. And he's got a thriving Instagram called One Lucky Rescue Dog. And he looks like a very handsome, good boy. Oh, yes. He is definitely worth a follow. I have lurked his Instagram account. (laughs) Oh, I want a dog so bad. Okay. Get one. I I send you enough links. Jesus. I know. Um, Sarma was in the Tennessee jail for about 10 days and then sent to New York's Rikers Island. And this is where reality really started to sink in. There was no mysterious group. There was no secret, top secret CIA job. There was no immortal life for her and her dog. And most importantly, there was no money coming from Anthony Strangis. Sarma's dad paid her $300,000 bail, but nobody bailed Anthony out of prison. Okay, quick side question. Yes. Sorry, this one just came to me. But bail. Bail. I don't know how bail works. Oh my God, me either. And it frustrates me to no end because I think like if she's found innocent or if she, yeah, would she Mm -hmm. get the money back to pay her dad back? And if she's guilty, does that money then go into the prison system? Because that's a lot of money. I would just like, I would stay in jail. (laughs) I'd forget what I was watching, but it's like a hold. So if the charges are cleared, they get the money back. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I've always wondered and then I just never looked it up, which is unlike me. I feel like I'm constantly Googling. I just always thought like when you paid bail, you lost that money. So if you paid someone's $300,000 bail, you lost $300,000. That's Which what I thought it was. Wild. Innocent or guilty. But it makes way more sense to have it as a hold for the court, like appearances and like the final hearing yeah. and stuff like that. Maybe we should call in lawyer Liam again. So how bail money, bail bonds and other securities get paid and by whom and how they vary depending on the crime is super interesting and hotly debated. But generally speaking, in criminal cases where one of the conditions of bail is that the accused pays a bail amount in the court which likely then goes into a designated trust account administered by usually a legislated public authority. However, if the accused breaches any of their possibly many different kinds of bail conditions, maybe they contact their victim or they fail to appear in court, which is often the case, the bail can then be deemed forfeited. The accused in many cases has procedures available to them to apply to recover their forfeited bail and for it to be returned to them, which is sometimes called an application for remission of forfeiture. But If those applications aren't made or if the application is denied, the forfeited bail amount, whether it is cash or some other interest in property, will be transferred to the county or the state jurisdiction processing the bail. And sometimes the forfeited bail money is placed into a trust to be dispersed by various public trusts and towards all kinds of public projects, sometimes infrastructure, sometimes the public school system, or however else the council or legislature directs it. Although this may sound very resourceful, some research shows the bail system having a devastating effect on low-income communities which perpetuates the poverty cycle, but that is entirely a different subject. Okay, so in the end, what were Anthony and Sarma charged with? They faced charges of second-degree grand larceny, second-degree criminal tax fraud, and first-degree scheme to defraud. Both of them took plea deals. Sarma served four months in Rikers Island and was released in October 2017 with an additional five years probation. During the trial, Sarma actually changed lawyers partway through. And there are some differing opinions out there about 
what this change of lawyers meant for the case. But she switched from Sheila Tendy to a lawyer named Jeffrey Lichtman. And the thought is that this might have actually hurt her case because the previous lawyer, Sheila Tendy, had been working with the NYPD Special Victims Unit to investigate whether Strangis had committed sex crimes against mm-hmm. Mongalis. But once the switch in lawyers happened, that aspect was dropped. And then another layer, 8 million, that makes the story crazy, is that apparently Sarma was actually hooking up with this new lawyer, Jeffrey Lichtman. Is that important? I don't think so. But it's just another layer to this crazy, confusing story that yeah. just keeps getting wilder and wilder. Yeah, she really likes the uh, excitement in her life. Yeah. That is wild. I mean, who am I to judge someone when they're going through like a terrible time, the worst time of their life? It's just interesting. I mean, did they give a know. reason why she fired this Sheila? Not really. Lawyer? And again, it wasn't a solid source. Mm. So like, I don't, I almost didn't mention it, but it's also so fascinating and it's just another layer and like, yeah. It is so fascinating. We needed a second docuseries, please. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Another <Netflix>. four episodes. <laughs> Anthony Stranger spent a year behind bars between May 2016 and May 2017. And he was also sentenced to five years of probation, but he actually did not have to seek mental health help. Possibly the worst part, in my opinion, is that he did not face any sort of charges for scamming Sarma's mother. I wish she had gotten some justice. I feel like it's not a crime to lie. I know. It's so hard because, like, what would he... Like, fraud, I guess? To lie to Sarma's mother and get that much money has to be a crime of in some way. Yeah. I mean, he was... So he was lying with what he would use the money for, but he wasn't necessarily lying about Sarma's health. Mental health, yeah. And her needing True. help. So I feel... I really think that the mother should have gotten this money back, but I feel like it would have been a really tough case to bring to court. Right. Like, from a legal perspective, did he do anything legally wrong? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like it should be illegal. I'm sure it is. Okay, at this point, if you're filled with conflicted feelings about this story right now, I hear you. (laughs) I feel that way as well. I like Sarma a lot based on her appearance in the Netflix doc. I think she was a victim. Mm -hmm. I do think, based on what was portrayed in the doc, at some point, the line between victim and accomplice becomes a little bit blurry. But I still think of her as more of a victim. Mm -hmm. Also, Sarma has a new blog post up. And her blog is linked in our show notes. She's actually a wonderful writer. But she has her thoughts and feelings about the Netflix doc that I encourage you to read. She thinks some aspects were well represented, but others are pretty misleading. So I'm just going to read a quote from her post. While early tabloids got the first word and a lot of that narrative has stuck, I didn't flee in 2015, as those accounts stated, nor was I on the lam, at least not to my knowledge. I didn't leave voluntarily. I didn't know what funds Anthony had at the time, and I no longer had access to my electronic devices and email text accounts. I can already hear the troll chorus of, yeah, right, but most of what I say is verifiable. It also feels important to point out that of the money I'd raised at the end, over 90% went to reopen the restaurant and make payments. The idea that I would do all of that only to then run away with a man I hated and feared makes no sense. I didn't want to marry him, and that part of the story was inaccurately condensed. 
Also, the ending of Bad Vegan is disturbingly misleading. I am not in touch with Anthony Strangis, and I made those recordings at a much earlier time, deliberately for a specific reason. (sighs) Yeah. So it does seem like there was, like, especially around the whole getting married situation, I want more information there. And I want to know more about, like, was she forced to leave? Mm -hmm. And how and why? And that is the wild, mind-blowing, confusing story of Pure Food and Wine, Sarma Melangelis, and Anthony Strangis. Well done. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was tough. (laughs) There's just so many questions. So many questions. So are they still together? They are not. They are not together. They divorced in 2018. Okay. Thank goodness. Phew. Honestly, Kate, this story, I didn't know much about it three days ago, but now I feel like (laughs) it's all I think about. But it's just so incredible. Like, I feel like it has everything. Like, it has food. It has fame. Mm -hmm. You have crime. Rescue dogs, which is great. Fraud. (laughs) Dogs. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, like, just, like, the final thing for me, like, would I fall for something like this? Would I ever find myself in a precarious situation like this? And I think it can really make us question like what we would and wouldn't do, especially Mm -hmm. when you kind of get in the mind of Sarma in something like a documentary or the articles written about it. Definitely. I know. I wonder too, because when I was watching Sarma, I felt very like drawn to her and connect. And like I saw some of myself in her and she's not someone, I know there's no profile, like anyone can become a victim of abuse it's Mm -hmm. there's no classic profile but it just makes you think well if she could get fooled by this guy maybe i could too Mm -hmm. makes you think i don't know well done sarah that was really good thank you thank you i'll be continuing to follow this story (laughs) as well yeah (laughs) part two coming soon (laughs) also quick question Mm -hmm. if you were asked to Fund the reopening of her restaurant, would you? Ooh. Fund? No. Attend? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So support through the consumption of food. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I would give the startup money or like make an investment, but I would absolutely attend that opening and have one of those delicious sounding raw vegan meals. Oh, the lasagna looks really good. It did look good. I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I think I'm in the same boat. I really do hope that she gets it back up and running. I think she might. And if and when she does, I will absolutely go. Yeah. I think even if she doesn't open pure food and wine again, I think we'll see more of her. I think she'll yeah. do something else. Yeah. If you read like her blog, she seems motivated to like make things right. Good. Yeah. So she feels actually talks about in the blog how she did get paid to do this documentary, but all of that money went to repaying her employees. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Cause yeah, she ended up owing like, was it six million plus dollars at the end of it? Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And she made this comment. I think it was in her mind, there was no difference between six million and 60 million at that point. Right. Because it was a tremendous amount of money. And I think that kind of goes to show that she was thinking about the harm that she did by taking the money versus the actual number that she had taken. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyways, next episode, I'm going to be covering an interesting topic. And I actually asked you the question (gasps) two episodes ago. Oh, ask me again. What was it? I don't remember. I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) 
it might be like challenging to think of something on the spot, but have you ever purchased any health or wellness product that ended up being a big flop? If you haven't heard it, go listen to two episodes ago. What was that episode on? Scurvy. Scurvy. Go listen to the scurvy episode and you'll get a sneak peek for our next one. Yes. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsavory. You can find all the references and materials used to put this episode together in our show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through our Patreon link in our bio. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at unsavorypodcast. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at unsavorypod at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about them at earwormradio.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.